hear the words of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord my God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir to my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Or Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring. And so a slave in my house, born in my house, is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one should be, no one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and he said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And then he said, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as right as righteousness. In other translations, it says, Abraham was faithful and it was credited to him as righteousness. When Paul speaks of faithfulness, I suppose I should pull out my notes so I don't go too long. When Paul speaks of faithfulness, he, unlike patience or kindness or goodness, he speaks of something that is deeply, deeply, deeply central to his theology. Faithfulness is not something that exists only in Galatians. Remember last week we talked about goodness. Goodness is kind of this word that Paul uses that nobody else uses. Well, faith, faithfulness, you can almost say it's the opposite. It's one of his most favorite terms. And uh, all of the fruits of the Spirit so far have been difficult, I think, to grasp ideologically or theologically or philo- philosophically. What I mean by that is that if I explain it to you with my words from a contextual background, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get it. On the contrary, though, I think that all of these things, you know it when you see it. When you experience goodness, you can name it as goodness. When you experience patience, you can name it in somebody else or in yourself. You can name those things as what they are. And so faithfulness, I think, is the same way. I think if I tried to explain it to you, if I tried to offer you a way to grasp faithfulness with words, you would probably be left, just like you've been left the other uh, fruits of the Spirit, going, yeah, sure, that's great, but I, I, I don't know that I necessarily can, uh, can put a nail in that, put a pin in that, and know, okay, that's exactly what it is. But for me, faithfulness, this was the easiest sermon to write, write on, by far. Because if it's something that we experience or that we, that we learn experientially through experience, faithfulness is one of the things that I can identify most in my life, not coming from me, but in those around me. I have so many people in my family who could be considered pillars of faithfulness. I'm not going to brag. I'm going to brag a little bit. My grandmother was the layperson of the year in like 1996 for the Covenant Church. Why was she the layperson of the year? Because in that year, she reached her 65th consecutive year, or no, I'm sorry, her 60th at that point, consecutive year of Sunday school teaching. She taught kids Matt's age, two and three years old, for 60 years. 
until 96. She didn't stop that until after she had had my, my niece, Haley. That was her last class, was my niece's Haley. Um, and so that would have been, I think, in 2007. So another 10 years. I think it was 71 or 72 years later. I saw it from a very young age. And I'm not going to get into the Greek today. Everybody can applaud. No Greek today. Okay, sorry. Um, because I just, I think that it's enough that we experienced it. And, and, and I saw it growing up, and, and, and her son, my dad, he had a lot of that faithfulness. He showed up all the time. And I think that we could all speak about people in our individual lives that have dedicated and shown us faithfulness. But I didn't identify those things as faithfulness at the time. It took me reading through Scripture and understanding what faithfulness was before I truly understood faithfulness. And I think in the last 18 months, being your pastor, I think I finally got it. And it made it easy to write. And I got it, as we'll get to in a moment, because I've experienced faithfulness above and beyond what I experienced with my family of origin. I've experienced faithfulness in many ways from this congregation even more than I experienced it from my layperson of the year T.W. Anderson award-winning grandmother. I've experienced it here most of all from you. So here it is. I'm going to explain it using an analogy that I know you've all been anxiously awaiting since you found out that I got into it. Aquaponics. Anybody ever heard of aquaponics? No? Oh, there you go. One or two. Aquaponics, and I use, trust me, this is going to faithfulness, I promise. Aquaponics is a way of growing food, fish and plants. Now, if you're like me, you don't eat the fish, so you don't need fish that are edible. But a lot of people grow tilapia and things like that. But aquaponics, the, the core of aquaponics is this idea of a sustainable ecosystem. A sustainable ecosystem. That's an ecosystem that requires very little, if anything, any human input to it. We only satisfy a slight requirement of the ecosystem. And otherwise, it takes care of itself. So anybody know about uh, having a fish tank at all? You would know that uh, having a fish tank is, is, can be very time-consuming. There are filters, and there is testing of the water, and, and there's all these different things. And, and fish, um, when you feed them, the food doesn't stay in them forever. It comes out, and you've got to clean the tank, right? And the idea of aquaponics is actually that aquaponics can... Can, can fix this. And so I'm going to give you the three basic premises of aquaponics, and these are going to be our working, our, our working analogy for this morning, and I'm going to really try to not get into it for more than 45 seconds. Okay, the three basic premises. You have three living organisms in an aquaponic system. I'm not going to talk about the worms. They're the fourth. They're optional. I don't have any, but we could get them into them. Okay, I'm already wasting time. Okay, um, three basic organisms. The first one is down here. Kids, what do you see down here? Anybody? What are these little guys? They're swimming around in a tank. Fish. They're goldfish, in fact. That's the first major organism in an aquaponic system. Fish. I'm growing plants with fish. Think about it. Okay. So the second one is the plants themselves. The third one, though, 
The third one cannot be bought in a store, like plants or fish. The third living organism in an aquaponic system is bacteria. And you might think to yourself, what do you need bacteria for? Get fish? You got plants? How could you lose? Well, bacteria is a natural, naturally occurring thing. We have bacteria all over our bodies and in our intestines and organs and things like this. It's, all, it's everywhere all the time. But you need a very specific type of bacteria, nitrifying bacteria, when you're doing an aquaponic system. And this is because the fish, when they uh, defecate, that's going to be, or excrete their excrement, they are getting rid of ammonia. And ammonia can be eaten by plants, but not very well. It's really not a good system. If you didn't have the bacteria, the fish would die. They would die by choking on their own waste. What a way to go. And anybody who's had a goldfish bowl knows that this is what happens. You don't clean the water, fish dies. My dad killed a 16-year-old goldfish. Not very faithful that time. Got to clean the bowl. But in an aquaponic system, you don't have to clean the tank. Why is that, John? Because the ammonia, the, the water from the tank is pumped into the grow bed. That's where the, the plants are growing. And it interacts with this bacteria, and the bacteria turns the ammonia into nitrates through a process called the nitrogen cycle. And nitrates are not harmful to fish. And in fact, nitrates are very yummy to plants. And so when the water drains out of the, out of the area with all the plants back into the tank, it's clean water. So the water comes up with ammonia, it comes down, it gets converted to nitrates, they're eaten by the plants, it comes back down to the tank. But here's the thing, that's this process called cycling, getting, your, getting the right bacteria. It's very difficult for some of us to attract the right types of bacteria. It's very difficult. And that's where I want to talk about faithfulness this morning. That in life, if we don't see faithfulness, and therefore don't become faithfulness, if we, if we do not allow faithfulness to spread in our lives, we will eventually choke and die on the waste of the world. All of the inputs to our lives will not be good. It's just true. Sometimes people die. People get sick. Sometimes bad things happen. You get laid off. For all of the people in our shelter on Tuesday, at some point they lost their home. And the difference between people who don't choke and die on the excrement of the world is their ability to attract the right types of bacteria, to turn that waste into something that can make them grow. Faithfulness, in other words, is caught. It's caught. It's like a sickness. And if you don't experience it, you don't have it. And this is really hard for people to say, because here's the thing, like, we live in a culture that's all about, like, okay, we're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you can do it yourself. And the whole point of this fruits of the Spirit thing has been supposed to be, hey, these are gifts. You actually can do nothing to get the fruits of the Spirit. You can't work hard enough to have goodness. You can't work hard enough to have love. You can't just white-knuckle faithfulness. In the case of faithfulness, you have to catch it. This is why so many people, this is like, they make jokes about this in media, people who do not come from uh, households where they experience trust, 
where they can count on adults to be faithful tend to not be faithful adults. They never caught faithfulness. They never caught, they never, the bacteria was never, attra- they never attracted the right bacteria. Because here's the thing, once the, the aquaponic system, once it starts to get a little bit of that nitrifying bacteria, doesn't need much. One day it goes from having a lot of ammonia to like n- no nitrates. The next day there's a little bit of nitrates and a little bit less ammonia. Once it starts though, that might take three weeks to get to that point. But two days later, Zero ammonia, tons of nitrates. It spreads. It spreads in us. And if you don't have the right, if you don't have the right conditions to attract that faithfulness into your own life, if you don't have the right conditions to be able to receive faithfulness from God and from other people in your life, you can't be faithful. I think it's impossible. I can't prove that it's impossible because I don't have a PhD in psychology. But this has just been my experience. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. It's exactly what happened to him. In the story of Abraham, it's kind of a weird story in the Bible. It's long. It's longer than most stories in the Bible. He gets a lot of pages. Basically, it goes something like this. God goes to Abram in a nice place, and he goes, Hey, Abram, leave everything you have and come with me. First call of God. And he, he's like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll do it. But he brings everything with him, right? It's not, it's not a big loss. People make it a bigger loss than it is. He brings everybody in his household. He goes to like 2,000 people. They all go on the road, all right? He's not going to starve in the desert. But he experiences God's faithfulness. He catches a little bit of it. And then we get to this story where he experiences a little bit of God's faithfulness, and, and, and then he says, okay, look up in the stars. These are going to be how many of your descendants are, Abram. And, and he, goes, he goes, okay, I believe, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But here's the thing. At some point, Abram actually stopped catching faithfulness. He let the nitrifying, the, the faithful-fying bacteria die out in his life. And in the next chapter, he's already sleeping with somebody else to get, to get her pregnant because he's like, i, I got to take matters into my own hands. I can't trust God anymore. See, that's what happens to us. Even if we start off well, even if we attract a little bit of it, this is a continual practice. We always have to be catching faithfulness. And if we're always catching faithfulness, it'll always be spreading in our lives. If we're always watching our faithfulness spread in our lives, it'll be amazing how, how things in your life that once seemed like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I would never be able to deal with that, become something that can help you to grow, that can help you to get stronger, that can help you to get better. It's a really pretty amazing process how faithfulness can change the outlook on your circumstances. I could go into another analogy right now, and I guess I will. I got got a minute or two. All of you know my dad passed away of cancer. Uh, When he... When he was trying to white-knuckle his treatment and just get it all done and do the right thing, He was very unhappy, depressed, angry at everyone, not like my dad normally was. And then he started to catch a little bit of faithfulness. He started to learn that people were praying for him. And he started to find this sense of gratitude in their faithfulness. 
He actually, he, he had people praying for him who would pray for him every day. I can't even say that I did that as his son. I really cared if he made it. But there are people in our church who are praying on their knees every day for him. And when he found out that that's what they were doing for him, it changed his outlook. His gratitude for their faithfulness developed in him and grew into a faithfulness that he himself possessed. And all of a sudden, the excrement that was floating around in his life began to be nitrified. And he started to see, oh, you know, I never would have understood this part of life if I wasn't dying of cancer. I'm not that he wasn't just seeing the silver lining. He was actually changing his circumstances. He was actually changing the brain chemistry existing in his brain by catching faithfulness and allowing it to spread in his own life. To such an extent that my dad, who, who I disagreed with on a lot in a, in a lot of his life, and, and, you know, he had this very strict mindset, people should be able to do for themselves, and I don't think people should get handouts. As soon as he was a person that was needing handouts, it changed the way that he saw other people. It changed the way that he saw our healthcare system when he saw his bills come back in the hundreds of thousands. It changed the way. He, as soon as he got the gratefulness, it changed, and he became this empathetic person. And this guy who used to hate LeBron James, somebody spray-painted on LeBron James's house a racial slur uh, towards the end of my dad's life. I don't know, people don't remember it. It's just a very small thing that happened. Um, but somebody did, it was a horrible thing to do. And, and my dad, who, who hates LeBron James, right? Like, that guy played for the Cavs. He always beat the Bulls in the playoffs. Like, we really had a shot that one year. That was Brad Miller should hit those free throws. You know what I'm talking about. So he was like... He he, like, he, my dad really didn't like LeBron James was like, I cannot believe. And started crying. My father, who I never saw cry except for when his mother died, starts crying. I can't believe anyone would be like that. All because he had experienced the gratefulness and the faithfulness of others. And so now we're going to take a break in the sermon. Pause sermon time because this doesn't count. I promise. Um, We're going to take a break. We're going to listen to some music, just some canned music. Jim picked something. And we're going to come to the table. And at the same time, we have those little pieces of paper. Eli, where are those pieces of paper? Do you know? Oh, you got them. Herm's got them. Okay, great. We're going to have people come up in sets of 10 to the communion table. If you haven't done it this way with us before, um, this is something that we do sometimes. Um, this is just an opportunity. When you're at the table, we ask that you would, I'm going to do the uh, words of institution here in a moment, that you would just hand the body and the bread. That's, that's the, the bread is the body of Christ. It's this little loaf here. There's gluten-free options, a little wrapped up, and a cup to your neighbor that you'd simply sit around the table and that you'd hand it to the next person. you say, the body of Christ for you, the blood of Christ for you. And they'll take it and they'll, they'll take the elements and then they'll take the, the bread and the cup from you and they'll pass it to their neighbor. And when everyone has been served around the, the, around the table, that group will stand up and, uh, and, and sit back down and the next group will come up. I think we'll probably do three groups or so based on our numbers. Maybe four. And... And while they're doing this, we're going to spend some time, the rest of us, while each group goes and does communion, we'll be spending some time with those little pieces of paper. And what I want you to do is, if you could do it twice, that's great, one on either side, but write down on one side of the paper, at least one side of the paper, 
a time, maybe in the last day if you can think of one, certainly within the last week, where you have experienced someone else's faithfulness. And if you can't think of anything, think harder. Because most of us, psychology tells us, most of us do not do a good job of remembering good things. We do a great job of remembering bad things. Our brains are excellent at remembering trauma. But we don't do as good of a job of remembering good things. So think about it. Think about the times that you've received faithfulness. And maybe it's God's faithfulness. And then when you're done writing it down, I think we can put up, is this the next slide? I think so. Then when you're done writing it down, I want you to just sit with that piece of paper. And if you have to stare at it, you stare at it. See if we go, can we go to the next slide? Yeah, there, there you go. And spend a full minute. Just stare at that word. Meditate on those words. Try to implant it deep in your mind so that it might become nitrifying bacteria that spreads to the rest of your circumstance. And so take that opportunity to play some music and the first group, you know, just anybody, we'll just fill the table. Just fill the table. You see an empty seat? Come on up. Let me do the words of institution. Friends, we know from the Apostle Paul that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he took it and he said, this is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembering me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembering me. Because as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. And so friends, we do it today along with Christians all across the world who do this on their first Sunday of the month. Christians all across the world who do it every week and Christians back generations and generations and generations all the way back to those first apostles. And consider that this also becomes an act of gratitude and faithfulness. That God did not leave us but that he dwelled among us, that he did not stay away. And so do that. Take a moment to write. Take a moment to take communion. Reflect. Meditate. I'm not going to ask you how that was, but you can tell me later. <laughs> what I imagine is that that was pretty emotional for many people because we don't often think about the faithfulness of others. But let me tell you where I caught faithfulness this last 18 months. I caught faithfulness when on my first day I learned that this church was built when faithful people elected to close a church that was over a hundred years old to set out to do something that was new because they believed that God had not yet left the southwestern suburbs of Chicagoland. A couple weeks later, 
I took a drive, maybe a couple months later, I took a drive with a member of the church that went past that old church and went past each one of the properties that this church had bought with the intention of building. What faithfulness for a group of only 50 or 75 to buy a plot of land with nothing on it. And each time that church sold the plot of land, they made a profit, perhaps because God was in it. And then we ended here, the building I knew. And it was at that moment that I realized how bold, how audacious, how faithful it must have been to buy a church that was just way too big for you. I caught faithfulness when it dawned on me with my, in my first meeting with Evan that you had hired a 25-year-old with no experience to replace one of the best pastors in the world with more years of experience than his replacement had had on earth. I caught faithfulness when I remembered that you had called to be your leader, the kid who was always picked last because he talked too much and too fast. I caught faithfulness when week after week you showed up to worship for six months when we didn't have a regular worship leader and then when we did and they weren't here all the time and then after that when we didn't have one again and after that when we hired somebody new. I caught faithfulness when I came up to you a little while back with a crazy idea presented to me that we should start a homeless shelter, the first one of its kind in Orland Park. And the church voted unanimously to move forward. And I want to show you how the community responded to that. Bill Goodman on Facebook. This is a fantastic idea. Anybody know Bill? No? Probably not. I don't know any of these people. I like his picture, though. It's a fantastic idea. More towns, villages, and cities should do this. And five people. Yeah, I agree. Jill, not going to try. Awesome work, Hope Covenant Church. Anybody know Jill? I don't think we know her. Oh, look at that. Matt does. But eight people. Great job. Bill, I'm really happy to hear this. It's a wonderful example of charity, which by the word in the Bible is the same word as love. Ramona, people helping people. I love it. Top fan, Linda. 
Glad to see churches assisting in this effort. Zach, finally a church practicing what they preach for once. I love this exchange. Look at all these in a row. Joy, great job. Debbie, this is long overdue. Heart face. Jake Moore. Well, to be fair, they needed to make sure that they had 335 mattress stores first. (laughs) To which Michael, without missing a beat, Jake Moore, thank God that the mattress stores, they can provide the needed mattresses. God does work in mysterious ways. Candace, this is awesome. A different Candace, blessings. Apparently Candace is unanimously support it. Finally, what took so long? Cindy Schultz. This is kind. Hopefully they will help them find a job. Which I, she says the pastor, but I think what she means is that the church, which I'm sure the church will do whatever it takes to help these poor people. Thank you for seeing human need and helping. That's you. That's 30 people. 40 people, 50 on Easter. That's what faithfulness looks like. That's what it looks like in real life. When you look around our community and there are churches with three and a half million dollar budgets and churches with 4,500 families in attendance. And we barely got 45 people, much less families. That's what faithfulness looks like. And if you read the comments, my week was nuts. Nuts. Craziest week I've ever had, except for when we lost all the power and church almost burned down. That was pretty crazy. But other than that, my first week, remember that? (laughs) Crazy. 30 or 40 calls. I wish we had known when the article was going to go live. Jess probably would have called in sick to work because my phone just didn't stop ringing. I had to start rejecting them and letting them go to voicemail because it was just one after another. I want to volunteer. I'm from Orland Park. This is the best thing that you've ever done. This is the best thing we've ever seen in Orland Park. Finally a church doing what, we, what, what churches are supposed to do over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then people just started showing up. I was here yesterday. What are you supposed to be here? It's Saturday morning. What the heck am I doing at church? But here I am, and there's just people walking in the church. Walking in. Hey, we heard that you have a homeless ministry. We just kind of wanted to see more about that. I'm like, well, we only have one employee, so you're lucky anybody's here. <laughs> I mean, just over and over. And yeah, there were a lot of haters on Facebook because that's what Facebook is for, trolls. There are a lot of people who said really nasty things, who didn't see the vision as a positive change, who saw it and said, you know what, that's why I live in Orland and not in any of the other suburbs, because every one of the suburbs has one of these, but we didn't have one. And I said, well, I guess you better move to Nebraska. Not on live Facebook, but in private messenger. Got to keep the face up, you know what I mean? (laughs) We had people saying, what about safety? And I said, Totally. Why we started the shelter. Homeless people not safe sleeping on the streets. And they said, what about the children? And I said, totally. Homeless children more not safe sleeping on the streets. 
And they said, how did the mayor approve this? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know if he did, but... Uh. Many of those people made me keenly aware that they would support with their time, with their effort, with their volunteering. Orange Theory Fitness called me yesterday and just told me, hey, by the way, we're going to uh, throw you a fundraiser. You don't need to do anything, but can you release access so that we can put your name on it? You're going to give us free money? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then there was also a lot of people who said, we're going to do everything we can to derail your ministry. And I said, y'all don't read the Bible very much, do you? They're all Christians, by the way. Whatever that means. So we're going to do everything we can to stop you. And I said, well, I've been along this church, around this church a long time enough to know that God is with this church. And I believe Paul enough when he says, what God is for, who can be against? They told me that they were going to call this person or that person or the other person. I said, it's fine, I got friends in high places. <laughs> and so, I pray that you like me, would catch faithfulness. If for no other reason than by looking at the person next to you and realizing that their faithfulness means that people will have a place that is warm with food in their bellies when they didn't have it. They didn't have a backup plan for Tuesday night. It's not how non-for-profits work. We just pray for things to happen. If they don't happen, we worship in the chapel. They didn't have a backup plan. But you, the faithful few who own this building together said, yes, I'm on board, let's go. And here's the thing, and this is where it's going to get tough for you. I told you that I was going to call you to deep things because you call somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, so I'm just going to push the envelope. And so if you think the beds is the end, it's not. We got a meeting after church asking us, are we going to be faithful to something that's even more potentially scary than beds? A marriage in many ways. And then after that, we're going to have more things that we're... And the people in this community who are mad about the homeless shelter, I promise you, they're not done being mad because we're about to do so many things in this community. That's going to make them so mad that maybe just maybe they'll have to open up a Bible and figure out what the heck we're trying to do. And maybe they'll see in there the truth. Maybe they can catch faithfulness too. And so pray with me as we go from this place. We're only going to do one more song. As great as thy faithfulness. Sorry, Matt. Just going to do one more. And then after the meeting, Matt's going to play One Thing's Remains. And I want you to spend this moment reflecting. How has God been faithful to you? And how has that faithfulness nitrified and spread into this body?
to do things that we could never anticipate or imagine. The book says that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or hope, not according to our, but according to his power. And so let's get ready. Because what we can expect and hope is not the limit anymore. Amen.